following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I held dear was not a reflection of the truth in Jesus in Scripture. Most of what I have believed I learned in seminary, and I learned from what I was taught by other adults. I learned by reading books, and I learned out of my own personal experience What I want to say to you today is that I have come to a place in my life where I discount everything I learned in seminary. I discount everything I've read in books. I discount everything that I have been taught. And I now rely solely upon the scriptures. I do not rely upon my experience. My experience is not normative for the walk in Jesus Christ. The only thing that is normative for my walk in Jesus is the Scripture. And as I have lived these years, my heart has been greatly humbled 
because I was raised in a legalistic church where they believed that faith and works went together to bring salvation into one's life. And I very quickly cast that aside. I knew that that could not be the truth, for I tried with all my might and could not make myself live a righteous life. So I cast that aside, and I began to search, and then I found the Dutch Reformed Church, and I began to follow the teachings of the Reformed Church. Now, I had read Calvin's Institutes when I was in seminary. I had come originally from more of a holiness background, but the holiness had taken on the aura of legalism. There was a long list of do's and don'ts. And as long as you kept these do's and don'ts, you were on your way to heaven. And frankly, I've had to flush all of that down the drain. I've had to release and utterly let go of all of the legalism of my youth. And then as a young pastor, I moved into the Reformed tradition. I have had to utterly flush John Calvin down the drain as well with all of the Reformed teachings. I now go to the Scripture and in humility search it earnestly because that's where I am convicted of my sin and that's where the blood of Jesus begins to work and release me from the bondages that I have walked in. And so I'm saying this to you today to ask you to please be patient with me and to also lay aside what you have held so firmly to and what you have believed out of what you have been taught. I ask you, please go get your Bible. If you don't have a Bible close by, you should have. But if you don't, take a pen and pencil and jot down the scriptures that I'm going to be sharing with you today. We will read them carefully and in context, and you may be quite surprised by what they will reveal. But now let's go to Pilgrim's Progress, and let me begin reading for you on page 76. I'm going to share with you the conversation that Prudence has with Christian as they are in the place of rest beside the highway, the narrow path, the straight path, the one that leads to the celestial city. So John Bunyan writes, Then Prudence began to ask Christian some questions. Do you ever think of the country you came from? Yes, yes, but with much shame and desolation. Honestly, if I had pleasant thoughts about the country from which I have come, I might have taken the opportunity to return. But I desire a better country, one that is heavenly. Patience or prudence ask further, Do you still carry some of the baggage from the place you escaped? Yes, but against my will. I still have within me some of the carnal thoughts that all of my countrymen as well as myself have delighted with. 
Now all those things cause me to grieve. If I could master my own heart, I would choose never to think of those things again. But when I try only to think about those things that are best, those things that are worst creep back into my mind and my behavior. Don't you find that sometimes you can defeat those evil things that other times seem to defeat you, Prudence suggested? Well, yes, it happens occasionally. They're golden hours that I treasure. Can you remember the means by which you're able to occasionally defeat the evil desires and thoughts that assail you? Yes, when I think about what I experienced at the cross, that will do it. And when I look at the embroidered coat, that will do it. When I read the scroll that I carry in my coat, that will do it. And when my thoughts turn to the place to which I'm going, that will do it. And what is it that makes you desirous to go to Mount Zion? Why, it's, it's there that I hope to see alive my Savior who, who hung dead on the cross. It is there that I hope to be rid of all these things that to this day are annoyances to me. They say that in that place there's no death, and I will dwell there with the company that I like best. For to tell you the truth, I love him because he eased me of my burden. I'm weary of my inward sickness. I'm weary of my inward sickness. I desire to be where I will die no more with a company that will continually cry, Holy, holy, holy. Then Charity said to Christian, Do you have a family? Are you a married man? I have a wife and four small children. Why did you not bring them with you? Charity asked. Then Christian wept and said, Oh, oh, how willingly would I have brought them along, but they were all completely against my going on this pilgrimage. But you should have talked to them and, and should have tried to show them the danger of being left behind. I did, I did. I told them that God had shown me many things regarding the destruction of our city, but they treated me like I was jesting and they did not believe me. Did you pray to God that he would bless your counsel to them? Oh, yes, I did, and with much pleading. As you can imagine, my wife and poor children are very precious to me. Did you tell them of your own sorrow and fear of destruction? Yes, yes, over and over and over. They came also to see the fear in my face, in my tears, and also in my trembling under the apprehension of the judgment that hung over our heads. Unfortunately, all of this was not enough to convince them to come with me. Well, what did they say for themselves? What reason did they give for not coming with you? Well, my wife was afraid of losing this world, and my children were swayed by the foolish delights of youth. So by one thing or another, they left me to make this pilgrimage on my own. 
Couldn't they see the vanity of life in the city of destruction and how your life had changed for the better as you prepared to leave? Couldn't you convince them how foolish it was to stay and how much better it would be for them to come along with you? Yes, although I cannot commend my life, for I am conscious of my many failings. I know that a man, by the witness of his life, may overturn any persuasive arguments he may make. Yet I can say that I was very careful not to give them any occasion for offense by my own actions. I did nothing to give them cause for not coming on this pilgrimage, and it was for this very thing that they found fault with me. They complained that I was too precise and that I denied myself things for their sakes in which they saw no evil. I think I can say that what they saw in me was what hindered them. It was my great concern that I not sin against God or do any wrong to my neighbor. Charity said, Indeed, Cain hated his brother because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. And if your wife and children have offended, been offended with this, they show themselves to be implacable to good. But you will have delivered your soul from their blood. Now, I want to go back and I want to address some of these questions that have been raised. It's obvious that John Bunyan was a Reformed Baptist. And under questioning by patience, he says that these things, these carnal things, creep back into his mind and into his behavior. But then when he's asked, can you remember how you were able on occasion to defeat these evil desires and these thoughts that assail you, he gives testimony that when he thought about the experience of the cross, he thought about the righteousness that God had given him, and he thought about the scroll or the scriptures, these wicked desires were defeated and he had victory. Now the question Well, no, let me put it this way. It's obvious that John Bunyan, in this situation, and you'll note even later when I move on into the next volume called Christiana, where John Bunyan gives the story of Christian's wife and children as they then decide to follow also the narrow path, you'll find that John Bunyan still believed in imputed righteousness. It was not until some years, many years after John Bunyan, that John Wesley came upon the scene, and he came teaching that God does not impute to us righteousness, but rather gives us real righteousness. This was a wonderful revelation to me. It was a releasing of bondage for me. You remember there was much disagreement between some of the leaders of the revival during John Wesley's time. 
but there was one solid agreement, and that was that sin was not allowed to remain in the life of the Christian. He had to walk free of that sin. Now, John Wesley takes it a step further and says that a man needs to be and can be entirely sanctified, made entirely clean, so that day after day our experience is one of victory and not of defeat. So today I'm not going to come and argue for defeat. I'm going to argue instead from the Scriptures for wonderful, life-changing victory through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now please, let's be very clear that I am not saying in any manner that through the law one can accomplish entire sanctification. The Scriptures do not teach that. Entire sanctification comes by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. The victory is granted as every bondage of sin is broken. Now, many of you hesitate if I were to press you hard on your walk with Jesus, you would no doubt be more comfortable dancing away from that subject with some platitude of religion or some truth of Scripture than you would be in dealing honestly with me regarding the condition of your life. I understand that. But that does not mean that that life condition that you're guarding and hiding is normative for Scripture or the Christian walk. We have minimalized sin and its deadly effect as it turns us aside from victory in Jesus. And we have made weak excuses that a Christian cannot stop sinning, he must always sin, and Jesus covers our sin. It was even last night, a dear, a dear brother said to me, I am covered by the blood of Jesus. But again, let's remember, it was in the old covenant that the sins were declared covered, and a man was declared righteous, because the blood of bulls and goats could not change a man's heart. You have no sins removed and forgiven by the blood of a bull or a goat, or a sheep or a lamb. It was not until Jesus died on Calvary that men were now no longer declared righteous, they were made righteous. But let's go directly to the Scriptures, and I'm going to give you a number of passages not picking one here and there, but literally walking through in context these wonderful truths of Scripture. I'm going to begin in Romans, the fifth chapter, Romans 5, verse 8. And while you're looking that up, I want to quickly give you the telephone number in studio. That number is 877-534-0780. That number one more time, 877-534-0780. 
And I welcome you to call with testimonies, with asking for prayers, for the breaking of bondage of sin, and for honest questions, not debate, but honest questions regarding the Word of God. Chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so the obvious question would be, after Christ died for us, were we still sinners? Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, and that word justified is dikuno in the Greek, meaning to be made righteous. And it is translated in the NIV and the King James in verse 9 as having been justified by his blood. And the word justified, again, is an old English word the literal meaning of which is to make holy, to make holy, to make righteous. Verse 10, for if we were, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Let's Stop. The word reconciled is a technical word. When I balance my checkbook, it's called reconciliation. It simply means that I look at my checkbook and I look at what the bank says my checkbook should say, and when we agree, we are reconciled. In other words, there comes an agreement between myself and the bank, and I tell you, sometimes I have made mistakes in my checkbook, and sometimes the bank has made a mistake. It's usually my mistake. But we then say, we are reconciled. So when Jesus Christ died on Calvary, he made possible reconciliation between myself and and God. That means I come into agreement with God regarding my situation and my condition. I am washed and made clean. And now Paul is saying, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Well, what is the topic under consideration? It is sin. We are saved from sin. But let's continue in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there's no law, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was the pattern of the one to come. So in other words, those before Moses brought the law 
still were affected by sin because they were sinning against, they were out of relationship, they had broken away in rebellion from the God of heaven, and sin was the result. So let's go back now to the Scripture, and I'm going to begin reading for you in verse 21. This is Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 21. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul is saying that sin reigned, and in sin, death. Now righteousness reigns, and in that grace. But Now my question, is this false righteousness? Is this righteousness that belongs to Jesus, and he has not given it to me? He's only made a shield so that I cannot be seen in my wickedness. I can't believe that for a moment, and I'll tell you why. The sixth chapter, and by the way, we're all, I'm giving you background that will lead us into the seventh chapter where the heart of this argument will be made. In the sixth chapter of Romans, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, if we're living under the favor of God, does that mean that we're now allowed to continue walking in rebellion against him, in sin? Paul answers, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we're living the same life of sin, it's not a new life. But we are given a new life. Verse, uh, The next verse, verse 5, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. And literally, in the Greek, it's stronger than that. It's not just done away with, it is destroyed. It is utterly annihilated so that the body of sin might be utterly done away with or utterly annihilated, removed, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, I didn't say that. The Scriptures say that. So let me be very blunt, and then you're going to want to follow carefully. If you are still walking in sin in your life, it is because you have not yet fully died out to the flesh. That is a condition of grave consequence, for it is required to enter into heaven 
that we fully die out to the flesh. I'll read that for you in just a moment. Verse 7, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to our sin. He died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So in the same way, count yourself, the word count here is literally inventory. Take an inventory of your life. Are you dead to sin or does sin still reign in your body and are you making excuses for it? I tell you, I hear all the time from Christians saying foolish things like, I can't help myself from sinning. I'm a sinner, and Jesus has saved me, and I'm covered by his blood, but I'm going to be sinning until the day I die. That person is not on the narrow path to heaven. They have not come in by the narrow gate They have crawled over the wall and are now walking on the narrow path, but they will end in destruction. There must come a time when we finally are willing to deal with the sin question in our hearts. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourself or inventory yourself dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. He's saying you have a choice. And he's saying do not let sin reign in your body. Verse 13, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Now isn't that a strange-sounding verse of Scripture? That we are under grace, which means we are free to no longer sin. We no longer are bound by the bondages of sin. Is that good news for you? I tell you, I want to shout. I want to stop now, and I want to dance around this room. Do you understand? The blood of Jesus frees you from sin. It releases the captive. It sets you free. It brings joy into your heart. You want to shout about it. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? He's speaking here about men and women who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And he's saying that if you're walking in sin, 
It's going to take you to death. But if you're walking in obedience, it will lead to righteousness. But thanks be to God, verse 17, that you, though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. How much more plain could the Scriptures be? You have been set free from sin. Now let me read for you verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please hear me. Please, please, please hear me. You cannot overcome sin by the power of the human spirit. You can only overcome sin by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is a place that the modern church has utterly renounced. And we have taken the Kool-Aid that says that you're always going to sin, that you can never stop sinning, and we have made the excuses, and we have played with the world, and we walk in bondage in the modern church. And the gospel is saying, stop, because following those teachings will lead you into eternal destruction. You cannot make the pilgrimage to the holy city. You cannot go to Mount Zion, to the celestial realm. You will never get there. You will never go to heaven walking in known and willful sin and rebellion against God. You simply can't get there doing that. The scriptures that I've read for you are very clear on this matter. Now let's go to chapter 7, because this is where many have gone and pulled this passage out of context. I want to share with you the first part of chapter 7. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. So when we die for Jesus Christ, we are crucified with him. We are no longer under the law. Verse 4, So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God, For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work on our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We no longer walk, when we are Christians, under the law. If you are not a Christian, you are under the penalty of the law, and you will face the judgment, and you will be cast into hell. Jesus Christ came and opened the path into heaven. He opened it by shedding his blood and making reconciliation with the Father. 
Now, please, let's go to this very misunderstood portion of Scripture in Romans, the seventh chapter. Let's begin with verse 10. I found that the very commandment that we were in, that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the can, commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means, but in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that though the commandment, or through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Now again, Many take this passage out of context and say that Paul is saying that he is unspiritual and sold as a slave to sin, even while he is now, by his own testimony that I have just read you, no longer under the law. He has been released from the law. He has died to the law. He has been crucified with Christ. He no longer lives, but Christ now lives in him, Even with that wonderful testimony, people now want to twist this because he's speaking in the present tense. This is in the Greek called an analytic present historical present passage. This is when he speaks in the present tense about a past tense situation. I'm going to show you Again, without any question, that Paul is not saying that a Christian is unspiritual and sold as a slave to sin. Verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. But that sinful nature, by Paul's own testimony, has now been put to death. It is now removed. He now walks in righteousness before God. He now offers his body as a slave to righteousness. But let me speak to some of you. You often get drunk. You often do drugs. You often are in a relationship with a man or a woman with whom you are not married, committing fornication, adultery. You're living a wicked life. You know you're living a wicked life. I know by saying this I'm not offending you because you know I'm only speaking the truth. You are under the law, and the penalty of the law will finally rest upon you in that great day of judgment. That's why John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress to say we must escape from the city of destruction where every unclean thing goes on. 
And believe me, those who live in the city of destruction often try to improve their lives. They may say, okay, I'm going to go on a vegan diet. I'm going to take, I'm going to take serious my weight. I'm going to get my health under control. I'm going to drink less. Okay, I'm living in sin. I'm going to move away from that just a bit. But, but God understands I can't help myself. This is just who I am. Well, that is just who you are, and you are living in the city of destruction, and God's judgment will fall upon your life, and you will be cast into hell and live eternally under punishment if you do not receive from the Lord Jesus the sacrifice he gave on Calvary. But now also, let's continue reading. I want you to hear what Paul says. Verse 19, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. And any man or woman today listening to this broadcast, you know the truth of which this word has just spoken. You know you have tried to improve your life, but when you become very honest and you look in the mirror, you know you are not a good person. You know you are sinning against the Almighty God. Now, there are some, like the atheist, who will turn in utter rebellion and say, there is no God. And that does not take the Lord God of heaven by surprise. He said the fool in his heart will say there is no God. The ignorant will say there is no God, because there is ample evidence in science Just look up and see the stars. When was the last time you saw a jet airplane suddenly arise out of a junkyard and fly away? No, somebody had to create that jet airplane. Well, now with new science, we see the very intricate design of the human body, and we know a great intelligence had to both organize and create and enliven that intricate creation. We are not from slime or premortal ooze. We are not from monkeys. We were created. Archaeology is now telling us that the civilizations that were once looked upon as very primitive were, in fact, very advanced, very sophisticated. So what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And the answer comes ringing through in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the deliverance comes through Jesus Christ. Now let's go into, verse, let's go into chapter 8. 
Verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. If you are walking in willful rebellion against God, you do not belong to Jesus Christ. Regardless of your confession, regardless of what you have been taught, the scriptures are what we must go by. Verse 13, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now let me very quickly go to one more passage found in the first epistle of John in chapter 3. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Sin is defined by the apostle John as willing rebellion against God. You know that he appeared, verse 5, so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. If you are continuing to walk in sin, you do not belong to Jesus Christ. But the good news is that can be changed. You can belong to Jesus Christ, and you can walk out of all willful sin against God, and you can live day by day in the full victory of righteousness. Now, that's all the time we have for today. My name is Ray Greenley. I'm pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Almighty God, These are hard words I've read from Scripture and very strange to the modern Christian's ears. I ask for a great conviction of concern and and repentance to come upon each who has listened. 
who is not walking in the victory of the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I pray in your mighty name. Amen.
Whom shall 